Jesus's parables are often a bit tricky. I think that back in the day when he told them, they were even in some cases a little bit humorous. They sometimes really get your attention. Examples would be the unjust judge or the dishonest steward. Does God really commend that? Jesus often tells then parables that have a surprise ending. And one example is the one that we have in front of us today, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It was apparently about this time of year, late September, when the grapes would be ripe in Palestine. It's when they used to be ripe also out in Cucamonga back in the day before there were no longer vineyards there and just warehouses popping up in the fields. You tried to keep now, think here like a, a guy who owns a vineyard, you tried to keep the grapes on the vines as long as possible. That's in order to build up sweetness. But they would have to be harvested in a hurry if there was the chance of rain setting in. Every available person in the community would be employed a day or two to help harvest the grapes. Well, that seems to be what's going on here, at least that's, I'm sure, how this would have been heard, is that very early in the morning, the owner of this vineyard, a respectable man apparently, well-known in the community with a bit of cash in his pocket, went to the vineyard, or went, I'm sorry, from the vineyard to the marketplace in order to find able-bodied workers to help because perhaps the storm clouds were gathering off the Mediterranean and there was trouble ahead. After a couple of hours, this landowner realizes that he needs more workers. So he goes back to the marketplace and he found some other men standing idle. Now, would you typically want to hire a day worker who stands around idle? But you've got to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it wasn't the case that they overslept with the alarm clock, because of course there were no alarm clocks back then or the dog didn't bark or the rooster crow. Maybe he had his own little patch of grapes and he had to get that in quick. And now he sees he has time on his hands. So go down to the marketplace in order to be hired as a day laborer, but whoops, too late. So anyway, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, the owner goes out and he says, in each case, I will pay you whatever is right. So later he realizes that he needs still more workers, so he goes out finally at five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, who's left in the marketplace at five o'clock in the afternoon? It's, you know the types, the girls with the purple hair and the tattoos from chin all the way down to their ankles, and uh, the boyfriends hanging around them like so many flies around you know what, and they've got the empty beer cans off on the side, and so these are are the losers. These are the people that are left at five o'clock in the afternoon when the working day is over at six. And so you can imagine the landowner going to these people and saying, you want to work? 
well, they give them kind of a sideways glance because they're supposed to. You know, that's the right thing in society. They're supposed to work. But do you think they really do want to? Maybe not. But hey, the six pack ran out. And the guy figures that if I go to work, at least maybe I'll get, you know, one hour's worth of pay in order to be able to buy another one that'll get me through the evening. So they agree. And then the strange things start to happen. The trouble begins at quitting time. The workers who were at five o'clock and worked for only one hour in the cool of the evening are paid when they go to the pay window, and it is the manager, the foreman, who does the paying. But before he does, the owner has called him aside and says, I want to do something a little strange. I paraphrase a bit. That's okay, isn't it? Start with the ones who were hired last. So, you know, here comes the guy with the tattoos and the definite biker image, or however you want to imagine this, and the girl with them. And they each get handed an envelope. Well, she opens hers and she looks in it, and there are six crisp new $20 bills. What does she do? She starts working, walking fast. Why? She's afraid that the landowner will figure out his mistake. <laughs> That's human nature. But then the boyfriend opens the envelope, and what does he find? Same thing, six crisp new 20s. And then the next guy, who was also hired at 5 p.m., finds that he's got six 20s in his. And so what's going on here? Now, you have to figure that pretty soon the word is going to go down the line, right? That's human nature. They got 120 bucks for one hour of work, and so the people who were there bright and early, ka-ching, ka-ching, because we all have cash registers in our heads. We are inveterate accountants. It's called the law. It's engraved in our minds. And so the guys who are at the end of the line, who were there since 6 a.m. in the morning, are thinking, oh, gee, $1,440 is going to be in my envelope. And then it's not. The workers who had worked all day in the hot sun naturally began to think that if these workers, who had worked only one hour, got that much, then certainly they would receive more because, after all, they worked all day, and you know what's written in your heads. Fair is fair. That's justice. Yes, we know justice and the law in our hearts when it is to our advantage. These were good, honest people, apparently, who expected life to treat them fairly but they were in for a disappointment. They received the same amount as those who worked only one hour, one denarius, that's a day's wage for a day laborer. Disappointed at thinking they were getting a bonus quickly enough, it turned to outrage. How dare the landowner pay them the same amount as those who had worked fewer hours? It wasn't fair. 
They felt cheated because they, like all of us, like every human, naturally enough, understands justice and law and things of that sort, even though we are quick enough to ignore it when it suits our own purposes. But let's give these laborers the benefit of the doubt. They were outraged, not because they were expecting more, but on the very principle of the thing. Of course, this parable isn't about harvesting grapes at all. It's about grace. And it says most definitely that grace is not a matter of justice and that it cannot be earned. The workers in the vineyard expressed their outrage to the owner of the vineyard. Matthew says, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Equal, equal justice under law. And yet from another angle on justice, a more libertarian one perhaps, he did nothing wrong. He promised them one day's wages for one day's work, and he paid them what he had promised. Friend, the landowner replied to one of the disgruntled workers, and that word friend, hetaire, in Greek is a very unfriendly kind of word. Uh, it's more like in English we would say, dude. Dude, I'm not doing you wrong. Didn't you agree with me for the usual amount? It was true, of course. Who could argue? And then he asks the interesting question. Am I not allowed to do what I want with what belongs to me? Here is an important lesson about the grace of God. God's grace is a gift. Whether we have been in the family of God for a long time or are a recent arrival, the benefits of faith in terms of our salvation are the same. God is not interested in letting justice have the last word, thank God, or we'd all be sunk. He seeks to be generous. The rock group Genesis has a song titled, No Son of Mine. The story tells of a son that leaves home under a cloud. He feels that if he doesn't leave, he will never grow. As he gets older, though, he wants to reconcile with his father. He goes home, quote, with his heart in his hand. So far, it's kind of like the parable of the prodigal son, isn't it? But in the song, his father rejects him. His father says, you're no son of mine. As far as this father was concerned, it was payback time. The boy had rejected his father, and now the father would do the same. You've made your bed, now you can lie in it. That's one kind of father, I suppose, the kind that puts justice above love. That's one kind of father, but there is another. Of course, I'm alluding again to Jesus's story, a parable about the prodigal son, the young man that wanted his inheritance now so that he could party and waste it. When he came to his senses, he went home and asked to be treated like a slave. 
His father, of course, would have no such thing. The elder brother wanted to suck it to him, but the father had to remind him that he would have his fair share. But the father had his lost son back, and that was cause for rejoicing. They could all, like God, afford to be generous and gracious to the repentant. Jesus' parable reminds us that no matter how hard we try, we never deserve God's grace. It's a free gift. It doesn't matter how long or hard we work. It doesn't matter how pious our demeanor. We cannot earn God's love and acceptance. And some there are that wish it were not so, unfortunately. <clears throat> we might as well face it. Many of us who have served Christ for a number of years, 50, 60, 70, even 80 or 90, would like some kind of bonus. It doesn't seem fair, does it, that people can just waltz into the kingdom at the last minute and claim the same benefits as those of us who have labored for decades. Jesus himself was criticized for spending too much time with tax collectors and sinners and not spending enough time with the respectable. Respectable folks don't like that. We are so eager to lump people into deserving or undeserving. Maybe if we were in the shoes of the sinner, we would understand. Ellsworth Callas tells about a sun-swept October afternoon when he came bounding home from school, eager to tear off school clothes and put on playground stuff. But to his great surprise, he discovered that his father was home. It was unthinkable that his father would be home at 3.30 in the afternoon. Why are you home, Dad? Young Ellsworth asked. He remembers his father being generally slow to speak, but especially slow at this moment. His mother quickly replied, Daddy's lost his job. Until then, Ellsworth did not know anyone who was unemployed. I didn't know that good people could be unemployed, he admits. I thought only lazy people were without jobs people who wouldn't apply themselves or who didn't deserve a job. Young Ellsworth's attitude changed considerably in the next eight or nine years when more and more persons from his neighborhood found themselves unemployed. It is amazing how quick we are to judge other people's situations. And yet only God is qualified to judge and only God can render the verdict or given. It is total and absolute because of Christ, whether we've worked 12 hours in the heat of the day or whether we've worked only one hour in the cool of the evening. Fairness is not the last word in the kingdom or we'd all be sunk. And we need to remember that when we look at those around us called to work in the vineyard, whose job performance might not have been up to our standards, we cannot tell their circumstances fully and completely. Only God can. When someone else is receiving God's grace and we think they do not deserve it, 
it becomes easy to see the splinter in their eye and to miss the board in our own. That happens. That's the way we are. But it is not the way that God is, nor is it the way that we should be. Thank God for the others and the grace they received. None of us deserve grace. It is freely given. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. And it is ours to be partners with God working in the vineyard, the chief task of which is bringing that grace to other people as well. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.